0: Hello everyone and welcome to Do Some Miss, the official podcast of the Royal Canadian Infantry Corps. Today we're going to be having special guests involved with the course called Basic Military Officer Qualification Army. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: This podcast is brought to you by LegalBoom. Don't trust just anyone's advice for your fourth negligent discharge summary trial. Contact Legal Boom for the best pre-trial advice in the country at competitive rates you can afford to risk. Unlike Jags or actual lawyers, LegalBoom is a team of disgruntled soldiers on holding platoon who watch a few good men on repeat and love giving opinions. Enter promo code PARTICULARS for a free consultation at LegalBoom.com. That's LegalBoom.com. And now back to the show.
0: On today's show, we're going to be talking to our first official guests of the Do podcast. We've got Josh and Pascal. They are involved with the Basic Military Officer Qualification Army Course. We'll be explaining what that is once we get into the episode. But Josh is officer in charge of, of the course itself. It's phase two uh, of the infantry officer program. Practically every army officer who's involved in the combat arms has to do this as their second phase after leaving St. Jean where they do their basic. Pascal is a candidate on the course. He uh, did very well. we just just run a serial in the fall now. The course is wrapping up, and he was uh, one of the better candidates on the course. So we've got both of their perspectives as a man who runs the course and a candidate who uh, just went through the training. And without further ado, off to the interview. So Josh, I guess we'll start with you. Why don't you tell us about BMACA?
1: BMACA is an 11-week course. Uh, it's the course that students take uh, immediately after they finish their basic training course generally in uh, Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, Quebec Uh, or if they come from the reserve world they'll complete a uh, basic military qualification course uh, at their unit. So it's 11 weeks long um, and it's really their first introduction to army training. So topics we cover include uh, weapons modules to include the 9mm pistol, the uh, C9 light machine gun, uh, the C13 fragmentation grenade and they're assessed as uh, a range safety officer on a conventional range. Uh, the course kind of builds in intensity as uh, as the course goes on, and it culminates in a, uh, a field phase where they get a few weeks doing some austere field training, and they're assessed as leaders in common dismounted army leadership tasks. The tasks we use for assessment are uh, dismounted reconnaissance patrol with a four-man detachment, a uh, section. Uh, which is a group of eight soldiers in a, a hasty attack uh, and leading a section in a dismounted uh, defensive context.
0: So Josh, how many serials of BMACA do we run a year? Uh, how many students are on each serial and how many graduates would you say we have in a year?
1: Well Sean, normally we have four serials in the summertime, two serials in the fall and two serials in the winter. So a normal course load for the BMACA cell uh, in a year, is eight courses. Uh, this past year, we've uh, we've surged a little bit. So we we ran five serios in the summer. We just graduated three courses here in the fall, and we're running four courses this coming winter. For the
0: audience cool. out there, when you say when you say serial, you're talking platoon size structure of.
1: Yes, that's correct, Sean. Yeah.
0: Okay. And what trades are taking this?
1: So this course is designed to be taken by uh, all officers in a land environment which includes uh, officers in the Canadian Army and also some officers uh, from other elements, uh, the Navy and the Air Force, uh, particularly military police officers, uh, that can be posted into any of the uh, the elements.
0: So is it safe to say that all military officers go to St. John for their basic training and then anyone who is Army specific or close to Army adjacent is going to come to Gagetown to do this course? Yes. Good. Fair enough. And Pascal, I guess we can bring you into this now. Uh, what were your thoughts on it having just come through the, the last eleven weeks?
2: You know, Sean, I think it was uh, I think it was a good course for for everybody. Uh, like you said, it kind of gives everybody a, a snapshot of, of what's going on in the army. We all just came from Saint Jean to do our to do our basic training and it was a mishmash of, of all the different trades and that got us jumped into the to the military as a whole. And this was the first time that we delved into, you know, how the op- army operates and 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 things we can expect uh, throughout our career. So I think that was good. You know, we had all the the different army trades there as well. So it was great for meeting more people. I know when I left Saint Jean, uh, the people of my platoon, those were my brothers and sisters, and now I've got a whole new group of of lifelong friends. And the the content that we that we learned, it was you know, it was it was more difficult than the the stuff that we. Learn in Saint Jean, but at this point we're we're more ready to, to take on the challenge.
0: Was there any fear uh, or expectation of I'm about to go to a real army base? No, no offense to Saint Jean, but that's again a, a, a calf wide base. What, I know Josh and I probably felt this in years past. The transition from Saint Jean to the infantry school in Gagetown, specifically, I, I remember having a, a a mindset of Oh my God, it, it's about to start for real," quote unquote. So, did you go through that, or was it? Were you prepared leaving Saint Jean that they had told you, and you had enough information to know what was coming?
2: When we left Saint Jean, we were. We were a little bit in the dark. Uh, we we all had our posting message, but the, the the staff there didn't have much for us of what to expect when we got there. So there were there were some butterflies. Uh, I know that we were all definitely anxious and, and ready to, to get out of Saint Jean, but at that point, you know, 12 weeks into our course, we had we had Saint Jean figured out. We were you know we were the seniors there. We had been there the longest, and we we, we had it uh, we had it together, and we were going to a new place that we, we weren't sure of how it was going to operate. And even even for the first you know couple weeks we were still walking on eggshells here a little bit you know maybe afraid to to get in trouble when we perhaps shouldn't have things were a little more lax now that we weren't uh, you know locked in Saint Jean.
0: All right, so Josh, uh, over to you. Uh, what sort of staff are running this course? I know uh, you're in charge of the whole show, but between yourself. And- Between yourself and students like Pascal here, you've got other staff, so why don't you tell me about the the staff between uh, yourself and students.
1: The staff for a BMACA course consists of each section having two instructors, which are ranked uh, Master, Corporal, or Sergeant. Each course has a course officer who's teamed with a course warrant officer that acts as the course headquarters. So three sections. Uh, each with two instructors, Mass Corporal Sergeant, and each course with an overarching headquarters of Captain Warren an Officer.
0: Okay, and Pascal, what would you say you're... I know you're still on the course, so you might be a little nervous. Uh, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to ask you to uh, assess, but wh- what would you say was your uh, being mentored relationship with your Section 2 IC? Because uh, you're effectively as a, a, a Second Lieutenant on the course, you, you're almost acting like a, a private to corporal soldier in that context, although doing leadership-like stuff. So what sort of mentoring did you get from the Section 2IC or the, the Section Commander?
2: Yeah, so with with your with your section staff, a lot of my section staff in particular were, were, were infantry, uh, who are my trade. So they definitely gave me a lot of small tips and tricks on what to expect in, in my next course. And just the, the little things that make the course easier and, and more survivable whether it's you know tricks to keep your stove going or how to sling your rifle properly stuff like this uh, you know you get you get taught as a platoon most things but then you break off into into your sections and get that sort of uh, closer mentorship from from your section staff
0: you were identified as one of the better students on the course and i'd like to talk uh, ideal candidates and unsuccessful candidates next so what separates somebody who is able to be a top candidate versus an unsuccessful candidate who will not be showing up on Grad Parade?
1: Really, uh, what I think is the biggest determining factor for success in this course is the ability to persevere through challenging circumstances. So if you can come to course with a mindset that you're going to finish it, no matter what the challenges are that are ahead of you, then generally you'll achieve success. Uh, I will say the thing that removes students from course most often is uh, being removed medically from course, meaning you receive limitations from medical staff that uh, preclude you from from completing the required training to finish the course. So through no fault of your own you may become injured through the course because it is a challenging course and we do demanding training but generally there are few training failures uh, on course. In
0: terms of statistics what are we looking at for on average each course? How How many start? How many graduate? How many quit, how many get injured, how many fail?
1: Sure, uh, so using this this past group of uh, three serials as an example, we began with 121 candidates between the three courses and we graduated 100. So uh, between there was maybe between six and eight candidates per course that uh, removed from training, most of those medically, uh, maybe two or three training failures kind of between all the uh, RTUs per course.
0: Okay, and Pascal, back to you. And you talk about uh, hard and challenging parts of the course. Uh, When I look back, I remember things like garrison inspections, uh, although not infantry like in nature uh, on their face, Uh, I would argue teach you uh, attention to detail like things. So why don't you tell me the difference between the garrison challenges and, and the field challenges and some of the competitions you had on course? Sean, like you said, I think
2: the inspections uh, definitely test you mentally in a way that you don't expect when you first join the military. If you have a really hard, long day of, of classes and, and and PT, and you get back to your you get back to your barracks, the the last thing that you want to do is clean for for four hours. Uh, you know you want to call your family, you want to you want to maybe hang out with your friends a little bit and, and take a breather, but the job is to 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 stay focused and, and and get it done and yes the the inspections were 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 definitely tough i myself do not personally like cleaning for till my fingers are raw but other things in garrison were were were, were challenging too um, you know meeting timings it's, it, it can be difficult to, to, to get 40 people to, to all show up at the, at the same time. Um, you know, we, we, we rotated core seniors almost every day. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's a bit like wrangling cats, trying to get 40 other people together. And there's always something that you should be doing. There's never much of a break when you're in garrison, whether it's the inspection tomorrow or you've got a big test or something else. They're always giving you something that needs to be done. So there's always that thing in the back of your mind that you know you should be doing at all times. And I think that over time, that, that, is, that is probably the most difficult thing of, of Garrison, is that constant cycle of things that you have to be doing. You've got to stay sharp, you've got to stay focused the, the entire time throughout. In the field, it's it's a bit different. I think the the field challenge is a lot more physical. Um, the mental challenge of the field, you know, you're you're, you're running on not much sleep. Uh, oftentimes, you're hungry. You're cold. You're you're wet. And but. That doesn't matter. You you not only have to survive, you still have to think. You still have to show up for your assessments. You've got to do a good job, and you've got to. And even if you've passed your assessments and you've done them, you've got to support your peers because they are relying on you to get the job done for them, so that they can pass and and move on. Um, so I think that that's that's probably the biggest difference for me. I found was that the garrison is a lot more mental. Um, However, in the field, you throw in a lot more of, these, of the physical challenges, which makes the mental stuff even even more difficult.
0: So can you talk about some of these, the specifics of the physical challenges? What sort of ruck, ruck marches are we talking about with what weights? What sort of sleep schedules are you getting? Uh, so, th- I, And I know there's the, the competition itself. Do you want to talk the details of specifically what sort of challenges? Is it a 2K march? Is it a 10K march? Is it you know, ten pounds, twenty pounds?
2: Yeah, sure, of of, of course. Uh, throughout throughout the the garrison part, we do have uh, we do have scheduled ruck marches, and a lot of the physical training during garrison, which is difficult, is to prepare you for the field, because once you get out in the field, it's a it's a different sort of physical strain that I would say you know ev- everybody isn't used to. It's it's not showing up once a day to do a hard two hour workout. It's a 24-hour, seven-workout with 40 pounds of kit on you at all times. You might get an hour, or two hours of sleep uh, sometimes if you know if you're called for sentry duty. Oftentimes, a lot of people didn't didn't get any sleep at least at least one or two nights of, of the week if we were if we were out there for a week. So I think that that is the the big difference in the physical strain is is the, the constant uh, physical effort that's that's required. How does
0: your body feel after going through that? When you started, did you lose weight or do you feel physically broken down? And and you're among the better, so I can imagine uh, those lower on the course and the the middle third or or bottom third or those who didn't succeed are probably even worse off. So what has your body gone through and how do you feel now? So,
2: I'm, I'm fine now, I've, I've recovered from, from last week, but at, at the end of the week I was, I was completely drained. I had, uh, you know, not to say extreme, but qu- quite a lot of muscle fatigue. Um, I, I didn't get injured throughout, however, I was on the officer preparation platoon at the infantry school for four or five months before this course which they do do quite rigorous PT every day. So I was amongst the lucky people who showed up for this course in relatively decent shape. Uh, but on this course, I've, I've still lost probably over 20 pounds. Um, and yes, toward, towards the end of the field X's, when, when you come back, uh, there's, there's not much left in the gas tank.
0: Okay, Josh, he mentioned uh, last week, and I know what he's talking about. For the listeners out there, why don't, why don't you tell us about the, the competition week?
1: Sure thing. So so at the end of the course, there's a nine-day confirmatory field training exercise uh, where they're assessed in the common army leadership task that I talked about earlier. Mm. And at the end of that week, uh, we come back to garrison, refit, and then we launch for a day-long exercise, which is called Exercise and Cup. Uh, exercise and Cup is a, uh, a physically demanding competition that's conducted at section level. So with their group of you know, eight to ten uh, of their peers. They'll move through different training stands in the competition and cover about fourteen and a half kilometers uh, in the conduct uh, with all their their fighting equipment and at the end of it uh, a section will come out victorious and they get to own the bragging rights and get their section number put on a plaque and a trophy and have a piece of infantry school immortality.
0: So so what is that march itself and what challenges along the way?
1: Sure, so uh, the Governing document for the course specifies that the competition has to be fourteen and a half kilometers covered on foot. Uh, so and within that there have to be uh, five different uh, training stands, which include a uh, live fire marksmanship challenge, a uh, communication stand which they have to assemble radio, plug- in frequencies, and uh, and send a few specific reports and returns over the net. An observation stand where they have to uh, basically judge distance effectively, uh, spot things that are concealed. There's a a portion of it that has to be done at the obstacle course here on base. So the section will complete the obstacle course and and be timed. And that will add to uh, contribute to their section's success overall in the uh, competition.
0: All right, moving on next to training philosophy. I, I know everyone likes to have the mindset that, that their course was harder than everyone else's course, but I have seen a, a significant change from 15 or so years ago uh, when I was a candidate on this. I had the mindset that you know staff was out to get me, it was a punishing course, they had gone through it, and not just this one, but the subsequent phases that are going to follow. Staff were out to get you, they went through something hard, so they were putting you some- through something hard. Uh, I know that the last few uh, directors of infantry who have also been commanders of CTC, both Colonel Larrington and now Colonel Oberworth, and the last few commandants from Colonel Haynes, to, or Lieutenant Colonel Haynes, McGregor, and now Lieutenant Colonel Gautier, uh, they've put out their training philosophies that say, we need a, a hard course correction and we need to move towards a, a, a mentoring-like philosophy not lowering the standard, but ensuring that uh, candidates now are a little bit different than the, ca- the students who might have been coming in 50 years ago off the farm. The stereotype of the, the millennial, we, I don't think we've seen uh, inherently. However, this generation wants to, to know why, and I think that's something that the, the commanders have rightly said that we should focus on. So why don't you tell me about how, how you have amplified their training philosophy at the course level, And and some of the things where, you know, it's still hard, but we're making the extra mile to say this is what you're doing, but this is why, and this is what you're getting out of it.
1: So, uh, one of the biggest things that we cover during the instructor standardization training, which is a two-week period that takes place before the course starts, uh, is like you said, the mentorship approach that uh, the previous commandants and the current commandant has really reinforced and it's about uh, understanding what the standard is for the task that they're under assessment for but also understanding where you know a minor course correction uh, or uh, certainly just giving them a a few tips and tricks can actually uh, help them achieve success on their own without handing them success on the course certainly like you said uh, we are seeing instructors being uh, I'll use the word challenged more, on, on, uh, on things that uh, you know, things that happen on the course, they're, they're being asked the why, and uh, it's certainly something that, that many of the instructors that have been teaching on these courses for a long time aren't used to, but it's, it's something that, you know, they're, they're adapting to, and we have a very professional cadre of instructors uh, that answer those questions and, and carry on with training.
0: And that's a, it's a fair statement to say that, you know, it's not just random instructors who go into these courses. Uh, For those of you not aware in the audience, all instructors now getting posted to the school, they have to be screened from their home unit before they even get here. Uh, Their home unit CO has to sign off on them, uh, that they assess they're they're capable to come here, and even after they get here. Uh, Instructors now have to pass their own course, not just an indoctrination for each serial that they're running or each course specifically that they're running, so they have to be uh, subject matter experts of that course, but they have to pass what's called Exercise Deuce Misperceptor, which is Uh, a few days of the infantry school saying this is exactly what we expect out of staff. This is a a perfectly delivered weapons class. This is a perfectly delivered uh, theory class. Uh, So they get to see the standard. So the instructors that you will have just uh, gone through with Pascal uh, are are not just coming in here free floated as a a tasking. I know the infantry school does care a lot about uh, the types of instructors you're getting. Uh, But before we wrap this up, I guess I'll, I'll give you a chance to cover anything else uh, that hasn't been covered yet, and, and if there's something that uh, specifically I think would be of value to the listener, it would be how to prepare for this course since you just went through it. Uh, if hindsight is 2020, uh, so think about whatever else you would like to talk about. But why don't you walk us through what a what a perfectly prepared candidate would look like coming in from uh, from Saint John or RMC?
1: Yeah,
2: it's a it's a good question, Sean. I would say, I mean, for myself and from what I saw on this course. The the big difference, and I think Josh touched on it earlier. The big difference between those who were able to step up as the leaders of the course and those who were just there to, to get by was was mindset coming into this course. You know, there where it is all different trades. Uh, some people m- may be of the mind that this is the last time they're going to be doing this difficult field, you know, infantry combat arms type of stuff. So they're here just to to sort of get the the tick in the box and they, they just want to survive. Whereas a lot of the infantry guys, the armor guys, artillery, they know that this is this is just a taste of, of, of the difficulties that come. So they it's it's just a different mindset. There there's nothing special about these people in the combat trades except for their mindset. Perhaps they're in slightly better shape overall as a average than the others because they've been put through the physical training. Uh, but it's just it's just an idea that they're, they they want to be here. They're here to learn, that they want to grasp this knowledge so that they can move on to their next training and 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 excel there. Um, so I think preparing for this course, uh, myself I was I was at the infantry school in the officer preparation platoon. We did we did PT every day. We did regular march ruck marches. I think we did six a month uh, throughout the summertime, and. We didn't go crazy into the material, but we did have some preparatory classes just to review what we had learned in Saint-Jean. So we had reviewed some of the battle procedure, the seven section uh, battle drill, things like this. We didn't go into, like I said, a huge amount of depth on it just so that it was fresh in our minds so that when we we saw it again, we uh, we weren't shocked at what we were seeing or anything like that.
0: Okay. Following up on that, what would you say your biggest takeaway is that uh, you've learned on this course? For me, I think the
2: biggest takeaway was really starting to hone my my leadership style was was what I took from this course, and I really that was really helped out by my section staff. For our section staff. Um, you know, we, we, we typically we would learn things as a platoon in the classroom or, you know, get a walkthrough, talk through from the staff if, if we we're in the field. We would perhaps see a demonstration of, of certain things and we we can use the section attack as a as a good example. They've they've got everything listed in the in the pamphlets and they go over each steps in, in PowerPoints and that's at the, the platoon level, which It shows you what you have to do and and how to do it. And we all have to know that. But then you sort of break into your sections and you get that close mentorship from your Section Commander and and your Section 2YC. And what what happens then is these, these guys are coming here as instructors and they've got years and years of experience. So not only do they know how to do it, but they know how to do it really well. And the, there, there's certain small things that you're not going to get in a PowerPoint. You're not going to read it in any of the brochures that, they've, that you're only going to get from having done it so many times. Uh, you know, A lot of these guys have, have deployed and, and, and maybe have even you know, seen it in real life and, and, and how it actually plays out on the ground. So they bring this info to you so that you can not only do it, but you can do it really well. And I think that that uh, you know that's the sort of mentorship that you that you get from them is they 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 don't want you to just pass your assessment; they want to see that that you can do it well, and they bring their knowledge and experience to to help you get there.
0: Uh, Josh, I'll give you the final word before we uh, before we wrap this up. What have we not covered that uh, a future student on BMACA could benefit from?
1: Well, the first thing I'll say, Sean, is that there is a free course training package available on the BMACA ASIMS page. So if you uh follow the yellow brick road on ASIMS to the infantry school page and uh, find the BMACA site there is a pre-course training package available which covers both physical training and some of the theoretical stuff that we're gonna cover on course so you can come uh, to course a little better prepared perhaps Um, But honestly to kind of dovetail on what Pascal was saying you really if you want to achieve success on this course you need to come with the right mindset Uh, you need to not be looking to just survive the course, but you need to thrive uh, under demanding conditions. You need to want the challenge of leading, and that's really the kind of person we're looking for to be a leader in the Canadian Army. Uh,
0: On behalf of the entry school, thank you very much for both of you for showing up. Uh, Pascal, I wish you the best of luck in your future officer training. I know Josh, I'll continue to to see you in the halls running future uh, serials, but uh, thank you very much to both of you. All right. Now's the time on the show where we're going to cover some listener feedback. We've got two more uh, from Daryl Suds and Jim Segge, one each. Uh, again, you can ask these questions if you go to the Infantry School uh, Facebook page or the Infantry Corps Facebook page and look for the, uh, the podcast discussions there. From Daryl Suds, uh, top things to train for, for Phase 3 or Development Phase 1.1? So, historically, Phase 3, or now DP 1.1, has been seen as the hard gut-check course for infantry officers. It is the one where you're still dismounted. You're doing uh, things progressively harder than you did on the phase two or BMACA. Uh, it, and it has historically been you know, known as the, the, sol- the candidate eater course or the, the student eater course because of low, lower success rates than the others. There have been courses that, that less than 50% of the people at the end of the course were still standing to, to graduate. Uh, and discussions then led to, you know how efficient is that training? What could we do better? And we're bumping those numbers up while keeping the standard the same. Top things to train for, I'm really going to save that for the uh, the future episode where we have one of the, the staff from that course on here to that. Uh, Jim Segge asked a somewhat uh, tongue-in-cheek question, good ways to avoid the RSM. Uh, if you're not familiar with what an RSM is, it is the top non-commissioned member in a battalion. If you've seen the, mem- or the movie We Were Soldiers, uh, the guy next to uh, Mel Gibson's character was the effective the RSM of that unit, so they have a, a reputation for being uh, hard, challenging. They're normally the ones involved with discipline. You've got a company sergeant major at sergeant or at the company level, and then you've got the regimental sergeant major, which is at unit level. So out of your battalion of almost a thousand people, he's the top NCM uh, in the unit. So Jim Seggy jokingly asked how to avoid them. I'm gonna assume that he means because, you know, usually if you're caught doing something, if you're, you know, your uniform is out of touch or whatnot, uh, how do you avoid them? I, w- I would argue uh, a, a good RSM probably wouldn't necessarily have, uh, be that terrifying, certainly respected, certainly uh, if you cross them, they're you probably deserve to be uh, disciplined or corrected in some way. Uh, however, I've seen some, some very good RSMs who were part of the team, still respected, still, uh, Led from the front, still very fit. Uh, and, and I would argue that, you know, if, if everyone wants to avoid the RSM, the, that unit may uh, not have the best esprit de corps that it could. You want to revere the RSM. that They've probably got more time in than practically anyone else there. Uh, they're probably going to have a chest full of medals that speaks to uh, experience in some ways. Uh, probably have a long list of qualifications. I've certainly learned a lot from the best ones, uh, and I've learned even as a very junior member, it's really stuck out to me that RSMs could, uh, could come to junior members and mentor them through, but uh, I do understand that Jim is somewhat tongue-in-cheek asking that because uh, not every RSM is somebody who you would want to cross because it's almost inevitable that they're going to point out something wrong with you that's going to result in extra duties on your case. Thank you, listener, for uh, staying through the first episode we had with guests. Highly appreciated to uh, Josh and Pascal for coming on the podcast. Uh, as promised, we're going to close out everyone with a, a recommendation and a, a song choice. Today's isn't going to be a book, but a podcast uh, as well. If you are a fan of military history at all, uh, I would recommend Dan Carlin's Hardcore History uh, Blueprint for Armageddon, specifically, or the first six episodes. Th- this is a, a long, long thing that I'm committing you to if you're interested in it. If you like uh, short sound bites, uh, this is not for you. Uh, Each of these episodes is three to four hours long, uh, and as I said, there's six of them. Uh, It's on the... If you find Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, uh, the Blueprint to Armageddon episodes are are the first six in those series. He talks about other uh, theatres as well, uh, later on, the Pacific Theatre, for example. But this is very much a a historian's uh, way to get through what is a lot of material. He, Dan Carlin, continually calls himself not a historian, uh, but he can tell a story like nobody else I've ever heard. He, as I said, has mountains of uh, sources at his disposal that he goes through this. But he, but he tells a story uh, very vividly going through you know how World War I even got started uh, and the, the setup to it even years before the war itself started. Uh, and then transitioning all the way through. He, he does a great balance of you know, soldier tales and general tales and what was going back on in the home front. But again, the recommendation today, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, Blueprint for Armageddon, episodes one to six. The music selection today is from the uh, Black Watch. Specifically, if you look for the CD, it's called The Royal Highlanders of Canada, The Black Watch, Royal Highland Regiment of Canada Pipes and Drums. And today's selection is The Regiment.